Good morning. I'd like to welcome everyone to worship this morning. We're glad that you're here worshiping with us, and we'd love to have a record of your attendance, whether you are a longtime member or a first-time visitor, someone that worships here on a regular basis. Grab that pew pad at the end of the aisle and pass that to the neighbors who are seated with you. I have a few things to share with you this morning. We are going to start collecting money for Christmas baskets, and so we also would like for you to put on your calendar uh, December 16th as the day that we're going to pack those baskets. You're going to hear so much more about the Christmas basket donation in the weeks to come. But if you have any questions, you can contact the church office or you can talk to Jennifer Burgess directly about that. Um, we are also going to have a little bit of a Halloween party this coming Wednesday at 545. We hope that you'll uh, come and and wear your costume, have a pizza party. The little kids are going to have more of a pizza party. The bigger kids and the adults are going to have an opportunity to go uh, to a local cemetery and, and check that out. Uh, and if anybody doesn't want to get spooked in the cemetery, you can stay here and be bored to death with me and my Bible study on Wednesday night. It should be a fun Bible study, but still, we hope you make plans to be with us for that as well. And I have a little bit of bittersweet news. Uh, we, we have something to announce today. It's okay, I suppose, that Kim Gaines is going to be moving to Dayton, Ohio. Do you have an official date? November 2nd or 3rd. So we are thrilled for her because she gets to be moving closer to her grandbabies. But we're also uh, sad because she's such an awesome member here at our church. And so we want to send her off well. So please, uh, please thank her for her years of service here at the church and wish her well as she moves to Ohio. Again, we're thrilled that you're here worshiping with us today. Let's prepare our hearts to worship the living God.
Good morning. Please join me in the call to worship that comes from Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, indeed it faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Happy are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise. Happy are those whose strength is in you, and whose heart are the highways to Zion. Come, let us worship the triune God. Will you please rise, if, if you're able, for our opening hymn, number 401.
And now the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And also with you. Our call to confession comes from the second Helvidia Confession. This is true repentance, sincerely turning to God and all good and earnestly turning away from the devil and all evil. Please join me in our prayer. God of mercy, we admit that sometimes we don't know what to do with ourselves. We anger at the slightest insult and imagine great violence upon those who wronged us. We laze about in the good news of our faith and do not consider the deep commitment of faith. We care for ourselves, not for others. Forgive us, we pray. Forgive us. Help us to repent. Make us whole. Amen. Friends, hear the good news. Who is in a position to condemn us? Only Christ. Yet we know that Christ came for us. He lived with us. He died for us. He rose again to a new life for us and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. The Apostle Paul reminds us that he prays for us. We know that in Christ's coming, God was reconciling the world to himself. That our old life is gone and a new life remain. So know that you have been forgiven and be at peace. And pray also for me, a sinner. Amen. seated. Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 14. We will read verses 7 through 12 and then 19 through 22. Although our iniquities testify against us, act, O Lord, for your name's sake. Our rebellions indeed are many, and we have sinned against you. O hope of Israel, its Savior in time of trouble, why should you be like a stranger in the land, like a traveler turning aside for the night? Why should you be like someone confused, like a mighty warrior who cannot give help? Yet you, O Lord, are in the midst of us, and we are called by your name. Do not forsake us. Thus says the Lord concerning these people, Truly they have loved to wander. They have not restrained their feet. Therefore the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. The Lord said to me, Do not pray for the welfare of this people. Although they fast, I do not hear their cry. And all they... Though they offer burnt offering and grain offering, I do not accept them. But by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence, I consume them. Have you completely rejected Judah? Does your heart loathe Zion? Why have you struck us down so that there is no healing for us? We look for peace but find no good. 
for the time of healing, but there is terror instead. We acknowledge our witnesses, O Lord, the iniquity of our ancestors, for we have sinned against you. Do not spurn us for your name's sake. Do not dishonor your glorious throne. Remember and do not break your covenant with us. Can any idols of nations bring rain or can the heavens give showers? Is it not you, O Lord, our God? We set our hope on you for this is for it is you who do all this. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. be seated and at this time I invite the children forward for a children's sermon. Okay, so I have a question for you. What color eyes are the best color eyes? Blue. Okay, what do I have? Blue, yeah, what do you have? Same as me, what about you? Okay, so we're all in agreement, right? Blue eyes are the best eyes, aren't they? Yes? Now, how often do you brag about having blue eyes? No, what's the best? There's four of them. It's okay. But are, do you at least think like blue is close to the top, Braxton? It's like the top four colors, right? Blue is the top four colors. Okay. Second place. Okay. So now, often, how often do you tell like your brown eyed friends like we're better than you because we have blue eyes? Why not? It's rude. You don't want to make fun of people because they don't have the prettiest eyes in the world? God, God loves everybody. Are you sure that God loves everybody the same? Even though he gave us the prettiest color eyes. You don't think it's the prettiest? I thought we established this. Okay. It's the second prettiest. Okay. So God gave us the second prettiest color eyes. And we should probably brag about that often, right? No. A little bit. It's okay. A little bit to brag. Okay. So the story that I'm going to read in just a second is about a guy who thought that he was the best thing on earth. And he was praying in church. And he wasn't praying really anything about himself. He was looking at somebody else that was in church with him. And he was saying, at least I'm not like this guy. At least I'm better than this. At least I'm, I've never done 
the things that this terrible person has done. Do you think that's how God wants us to talk to him? What's the color now? You remember it. Okay. Gray. Gray is the prettiest color eyes. It's super rare. Okay. All right. Super rare. That's awesome. Okay. That's, no, I think you're right. I think gray is super rare. That's it. I'm with you, man. So Jesus then teaches the disciples, you really shouldn't pray about how you're better than other people. You should pray and thank God for the blessings that you have and to try to figure out how you should help somebody else, right? So we're going to pray. We're going to thank God for giving us blue eyes because, let's be honest, that's awesome. But then we're going to thank God that we get to be able to see the world the way that God sees the world and to try to, to love it the way that God loves it. Okay, so let's pray. Dear God, you rock, and we love you, and we're so glad you gave us blue eyes. Thank you for making us so unique. And Lord, help us to be humble, and also, Lord, open our eyes so that we may see all the needs in the world. We love you. Amen. Okay, go sit down. Good job, guys. We're going to go to Luke chapter 18, 9 through 14, which really picks up where we left off last week. Hear God's holy word. And Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying this way, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves and rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all of my income. But the tax collector was standing far off. He would not even look up to heaven but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. May the Lord add blessing and understanding to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Let us pray. Holy God, we thank you so much for your text. We thank you, Lord, especially for this week's text, which reminds us to be humble in life, Lord, and also to seek the goodwill for others. We thank you, Lord, for giving us an opportunity to ponder your word this day, and we ask for your spirit to be upon us as we do so. We say these things in the name of your Son. Amen. Benjamin Franklin once made a project of improving himself. And he wrote down 13 good characteristics for him to work on. Temperance, silence, and order. Resolution, frugality, and industry. Sincerity, justice, and moderation. Tranquility, cleanliness, and chastity. And last of all, humility. And Ben Franklin wrote, imitate Jesus and Socrates. And Franklin worked on each of these virtues every week. So for 13 weeks, or a quarter of the year, 
uh, he would be focusing on one aspect of what he thought uh, was really important. And so he would keep a, a small black dot every time that he backslid and would repent. And he found himself overeating. He would put a black dot next to temperance. By the second week, Franklin worked on silence. Speak not, but what may benefit others for yourself, he wrote. Avoid trifling conversation. Then he followed the same scorekeeping procedure with his little notebook and the black dots. And he really focused on these things and thought to himself that he was making real progress. Each week, the accumulation of black dots became smaller and smaller. Franklin went on to order, resolution, frugality. But the 13th week came. Humility. And immediately, Franklin's self-help program broke down because he was so proud of the accomplishments he had done the previous 12 weeks that he had to just jot down a bunch of black marks on week 13. He could not avoid his pride. He was successful in his pursuit of industry, sincerity, and justice. And the challenge of looking at accomplishments in life is a difficult endeavor he figured this out. It was hard to be a Christian. It was easy to be a follower of Socrates. These are the ways that I've blessed myself. Maybe another way for us to have this conversation. And I think it's interesting to look at prayer life in particular. Um, it's interesting, last week's sermon on prayer and the text that we read, and this week's sermon on prayer, hopefully by the end of this we'll be able to pray a little bit better, maybe. Um, but it's about accomplishments in life, not necessarily asking God for us to be able to accomplish great things in life. And it certainly never should be something where we, we identify the lowliness of others and say, well, at least that's not who we are. Jesus is speaking to both disciples and a general audience when he does this. Um, this story is really directly connected to the, to the story we read last week, mainly because we also see the word also that's in there. And this is something that really doesn't have any other comparison in the other Gospels. There's a little bit of a comparison in Matthew's Gospel to this week's story, but for the most part, um, this is strictly a Lucan narrative. And the table is set rather specifically. Jesus addresses his remarks to a certain mindset. There are people that are with Jesus that think to themselves, we've got this whole thing figured out, right? Jesus picked us. How could we possibly be wrong about anything, right? And it's easy to be a disciple. It's easy when we are taking a look at the Bible and we say, well, at least we're not a disciple. Like, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm not somebody that's going to doubt Jesus, right? I'm not going to run away from Jesus. And so we can say, well, we're better than the disciples. And maybe we can even say, well, we're better than the Pharisees because we're not a bunch of legalists, right? And so it's easy sometimes to to kind of look at this text and say, well, of course, we shouldn't pray this way, right? Of course, this is not the right way to do these things. But there's a reason Jesus preached this, right? There's a reason that this was a subject matter that was important enough for the Lord of the earth to address it both to his disciples and to a gathered mass. In the Greek language, I think it's very clear here. The Pharisee truly feels that he is better than the person that's the sinful tax collector. And so he thinks it's really important and maybe even his responsibility to point out to everybody, hey, I'm better than this sinner. 
you ever heard a sermon about that? Unfortunately, I have. Jesus doesn't specify by name who these people are, and so it's a parable. But sadly, probably it was something they had all witnessed themselves. Maybe we can have our mind go to this evil of this Pharisee because we've heard the Pharisees were the opponents of Jesus and so naturally it, it just makes it easy for us to be like, oh my goodness, how dare a Pharisee do something like this? But after all, the Pharisees weren't necessarily priests. Some of them were, but Pharisees were more of a sect of Judaism instead of just the leaders of Judaism. Jesus is not as confident that the Pharisee seems to be as better off than the disciple who is a tax collector. And we don't even know, I'm sorry, we don't know that he's a disciple, but he's at least a tax collector. But the disciples aren't immune to this. The disciples think that, that they need to be able to be better than the Pharisees. And Jesus has warned them as, as recently as Luke chapter 12, he says to them, avoid the yeast of the Pharisees. So it's natural for us to like feel badly about how the Pharisee is praying. The disciples are shown to think themselves as higher up than children. The very next text after Jesus talks about how somebody shouldn't pray this way as a Pharisee, the disciples think it's their job to tell people who are bringing their babies to Jesus for just Jesus to touch them. The disciples shut that down. Right? Why do they shut that down? Because they think they're better than a child. In the first century, children were not allowed to do much of anything. They were to keep silent as often as possible, forcefully so. They weren't worth anything. They were a hindrance until they were able to be legal, and that meant that either the boy would become uh, a man and would be able to learn a trade or take after his father and inherit whatever the father may possibly have. Or if it's a girl, we can basically sell that child into marriage and I can get money off of selling my daughter to the right family. That's the importance of children. So it's not a mistake that the, the parable after Jesus teaching that the Pharisee was a, was a, was a very haughty person who prayed and said, at least I'm not a sinner. The very next lesson in the Bible is the disciples thinking they're better than these worthless children. The Pharisee is a respectable person. We would maybe even want him as a neighbor. The, the tax collector is despised. We've talked about this. The tax collector was a Jewish person who was hired by Rome to collect taxes and was able to skim off anything that he wanted. As long as Rome got their allotted amount, the tax collector could make any amount a taxable amount. And so he was really robbing from his own people. The Pharisee stands to pray and utters loud words. The tax collector goes far away, beats his chest. The Pharisee recounts all of his accomplishments. And the tax collector says, I am a sinner. The Pharisee begins by thanking God for having made him such a great person. Thank you for making me better than other people. 
He recounts his spiritual accomplishments, which include such laudable acts as double fasting and tithing on the entirety of his possessions. Now, the time that Luke was written, this is probably around the year 85-ish, plus or five minus years on either side of that, maybe, maybe 10. Double fasting was far from unknown. Double fasting is an interesting concept. Um, For the Jewish people, they would fast on Mondays and Thursdays. And so the Christians, when they kind of were getting started, said, well, we're really connected to the Jews, but we need to differentiate ourselves from the Jews So instead of fasting on Mondays and Thursdays, we'll fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. And any of you that have a relative that's a Catholic during Lent, what do they do on Fridays to this day? They don't eat meat. That's a carryover from really the first century of choosing to fast on Fridays. Likewise, there was the encouragement to tithe. I'm sure you recognize that one of the reasons that this text is put into the fall is because you're going to hear from us rather soon. It's time to make a pledge to the budget for next year, right? So this is one of those opportunities for this to be a stewardship sermon. Not really what that is, but um, this is an opportunity for us to understand tithing was very, very important back then, but tithing was very specific. So if you had your own income, you paid a 10% tax to the temple on that. However, Um, There was also this notion of the things that you purchased, a tithe should be paid on that. And some people said, no, 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 that's not really, we don't think that's really what the Bible is saying. We don't think there should be a double tithe. It really should be based on my money, not on the things that I purchase. Well, this Pharisee is such a devout follower of God that he does tithe on his income and he then also tithes, tithes on what he purchases. So anything that he purchases, he purchased 10% more to be able to give that to the temple as well. He's just a great human. I mean, let's just admit that ahead of the game, right? This guy is just a rock star. He's a good little boy. And the Pharisee thinks, God, that he's not like other people. I'm glad that I'm not an extortionate. I'm glad that I'm not against the unjust. I'm glad that I am not like this tax collector. Whoa, Lord. I'm not. I'm really not like a tax collector. I promise. That was interesting. We're going to wrap this up rather quickly. In the Pharisees' estimation, everybody that he names is guilty of robbery, of violence, of unrighteousness, or injustice. The Pharisees' prayer, one also notices, is remarkably short on what God has done for him. But it's rather windy on what he has done for God. Now, if we look at what the tax collector says, I mean, basically he's saying, I'm a jerk. I'm I'm a terrible human. I make my living off of stealing from other people, gathering money for an oppressive government who's taxing us to no end. I'm a sinner. That's a heck of a prayer, I think. It's an honest prayer. It's a hard prayer to pray, to admit that you know what you're doing is is not right and that you truly need God's help to figure it out. And I think that this section of Scripture is not really about making sure that we're righteous 
when we pray. I think this section of scripture is making sure that we're honest when we pray. He didn't have to mutter about, he didn't have to make any great theological statements. He just says, I'm a sinner. And I think it's a challenge for us to look at the comparison between these two. If you were to to look at the first century, it would make no mistake that the Pharisee was offering his life in service to God. He had a very specific uniform that he needed to wear. He, he had to keep all the laws of the Old Testament. He had to make sure that, that he did not break any of those laws. And if he did, he then had to, to confess a sin. And that would be very difficult for a Pharisee to know what the law is and then to, to break it and then to have to admit that you know what the law is and that you broke it. It's a challenge. And so it was very rare that you would see a Pharisee who would actually admit that they were confused about something or that they had done something wrong. I don't love to mix metaphors between gospel stories, but the one time I could say perhaps we saw a little snippet of what it's like to be a Pharisee, truly be a Pharisee, is when Nicodemus comes to see Jesus at night in John's gospel. He slips away at night so that his friends can't see that he's questioning his faith. Because for a Pharisee to question their faith, that would be cause for them to be kicked out of the courts. And the fact that he needs to ask this radical rabbi from Nazareth a question about how you're born again from above, how does that happen? Pharisees aren't supposed to question things like that. Pharisees are supposed to know. And they're supposed to know that this is the way God wants everybody to live. The text that Buck read this morning is a very challenging text to read. It's in the concept of, of being sent away to Babylon. Israel is getting ready to be punished for all the terrible things that have, that have taken place since the kingdom has been split. And there's this conversation about how they're going to lose the land. And the way, and I know you're probably tired of hearing this story, but I'm going to keep saying it till we, till we just don't forget it. The way the Pharisees truly were born was out of that Babylonian captivity when they got to come home. We remember why we got kicked out of Israel to begin with. We got kicked out because we weren't following God's laws. So if we never want to lose this land and this place, this promise, this covenant that God has made with us, if we never want to lose that again, then on it, we have to live this life. And so you have the rise of Pharisees, the keeper of laws. They would very quickly point out what you were doing wrong today. And I think that's why I get scared by this story. It's hard to be accused of being a Pharisee. And how many of us have ever heard somebody who's not connected to church say, Christians are all just a bunch of hypocrites that act one way and believe one thing but do another. In many ways, we are all Pharisees 
We know the rules. Sometimes we don't do what we're supposed to do. I won't admit to you how fast I drove to church this morning, but suffice it to say, I didn't leave my house until 10 after 9, and I got here with time to spare. Praying to the Lord above that none of the troopers or police officers between here and Barbersville would be awake. I'm praying to God they were still eating donuts and coffee. And in many ways, I make myself a Pharisee. I thought I was better than everybody else on the road. It was more important for me to get someplace than to pay attention to what the other rules of the road were. God sees all this about us. I didn't have to admit that to you today. God knows I sinned this morning. I know I sinned. It's a fraudulent act. It's a bit of resentment that I I woke up late and so I had to get here on time and I, I was in a hurry and so I didn't get to stop at Sheets and buy my coffee and so I'm frustrated, right? God, I wish I was better. I'm making a joke about that because it's easier for me to joke about it than be honest and say that in many ways I put myself in the shoes of the Pharisee more than I do in the shoes of the tax collector. Because it's a whole lot easier for me to know the Bible and think that I'm living a pretty decent life while ignoring the poor, ignoring the homeless, ignoring the tragedy of the world around me as I fly by at 80 miles an hour. I think this parable serves now as then a word of judgment on all those times when we would compare ourselves with others and declare ourselves righteous or maybe somebody else as unworthy. I think it's normal for humans to do that. I think that's part of what we do is we we have a tendency to try to compare ourselves to others. We, We rake our leaves so that our neighbors don't get mad, right? I mean, it's okay to have leaves on the ground, right? But they call it fall for a reason. For the leaves fall. But for some reason, we have to compete and make sure that as soon as those leaves hit the ground, we are picking them up and putting them in a plastic trash bag and sending them someplace. Or maybe if you're more environmentally friendly, you just mulch them and leave them. Whatever it is you may do, like we just we feel like we have to compete with our neighbors, I think. Nobody wants to be criticized for something like having too many leaves in your yard. Nobody wants to be the person who doesn't decorate for Christmas in your neighborhood, or nobody wants to be the person that doesn't keep the grass at the correct level. Nobody wants to be the person that receives the letter from the homeowners association, right? Your paint's a little dingy. I mentally criticize myself on a regular basis, and I I know that I'm critical of other people. And I really, really want to be somebody that doesn't judge other people, but I I know that I do. And I'm saying all this, and I'll close with this by saying this coming Sunday, we celebrate the 512th or something like that, uh, 503rd, maybe, Reformation Sunday, okay, 505th. I'll get there in a minute. I'll do the math right. We've been trying to reform Christianity for 500 years, and, and pretty much what has that done but divide the body of Christ? I mean, we have four Presbyterian churches in a five-mile radius, right? Why? I don't know. 
We have 40 churches, 50 churches in St. Albans. We all worship at different times. The unfortunate, most segregated hour of the, of the week is worship hour where we still have black churches and predominantly white churches. It doesn't feel like that's the body of Christ to me. For 500 years we've been trying to say at least we're better than the Catholics. At least we don't do what the Catholics do. And the Catholics are saying, oh my gosh, at least we're not the, the Protestants. They're, let them call themselves whatever they want. We're the Catholic Church. Meanwhile, the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church have been fighting for longer than the Protestant Church and the Catholic Church have been fighting. And what do our prayers sound like to people that are part of none of those bodies of faith? This has been a confusing sermon for me to write. It's a confusing sermon probably for you to hear. But I'm going to quote Calvin, and hopefully it's going to tie it all together. Calvin argued, and I believe he did so rightly, that all of humanity is fallen. And Calvin called that total depravity. And that's kind of what we hang our hats on as Presbyterians. All of humanity is fallen and deprived of what God originally intended for us to be. Based on the great deal of his opinions and the state of humanity upon his text, several other people have written and, and, and they've made this faith what it is today. Karl Barth is somebody that picked up that sword in the 20th century and continue to define what it means for us to be a reformed body of Christians. And I believe as crude and crass as church work has been over the last 500 years, sadly, the amount of people that have died in the name of Christ, who have been punished because they believe something wrong about Christ, or about church, or about being a Christian, I think part of our process is to begin reforming ourselves in the spirit of the Reformation, reforming ourselves in the 21st century to get back to a biblical Christianity of loving God and loving our neighbor. What would our prayers be like if that was our focus? If we were able to see ourselves as fallen entities in need of salvation, that we ourselves can't accomplish that on our own. We can't save ourselves. Only God can save us. And therefore, who should we tell that story? Who should hear that? Everybody we know and love should hear that God can save us. If we became the church that recognizes we can't do things on our own, we need God's help, that we're fallen, that we're trying, but we're going to fail. If we can imitate Jesus, if we can realize what Benjamin Franklin said, it's much easier to imitate Socrates than Jesus. If we can just try to imitate Jesus and know that we're going to fail, then friends, I think that is the mark of the church the bride of Christ, the embodiment of love. If we can do that, if we can begin to do that, if we can cease 
the notion of trying to be holier than thou, then they'll know we are Christians by our love. So let's do that in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Now let us stand and declare that which we believe in the recitation of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. It's now time for us to continue our worship by the giving of our tithes and offerings. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we thank you for the many gifts that you have given and blessed us with in this life. God, as we return a portion of these gifts to you now, we ask for your wisdom and your courage to use these gifts in a manner in which you see fitting. We say all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I have a few things to share with you this morning. Um, Mark Curtis, I found out this morning, had a friend suddenly pass away in Wisconsin, and so he's away. Uh, Buck saw that, and so 
Uh, we wanted to mention Mark. Also, Mark King, who is Kurt King's brother, um, was recently diagnosed with colon cancer. We think ish something, um, and has now he had surgery this week, and then found out later in the week that he is in ICU. Um, and so we pray for Mark and for Kirk, especially Kirk is also dealing uh, with his sister's cancer scare in Georgia. Uh, so he is both siblings, right? Are, are not doing well right now. Uh, Jack Rogers is a walking miracle. We think, I don't know really, but I mean, I think he's pretty awesome, but he uh, was in the hospital uh, Wednesday night through uh, Thursday or through Friday at noon, and he was able to get out in time to, to come be uh, the daddy to walk down the aisle with Raven yesterday at her wedding. So it was a great treat, but he still has a couple weeks of healing in front of him. But it was uh, it was great to celebrate that with them yesterday. Mr. Arthur, I mentioned last week, is suffering from COVID. He's kind of gotten over COVID, but now the doctors are waiting to send him to rehab where uh, they think he'll be there for a few weeks to get his strength back. I uh, talked to Donna on Friday, and her sister has kind of been told, there's nothing more we can do with your cancer. So please be with Donna and Mike as they care for her. And also, her other sister is awaiting uh, gallbladder surgery uh, in South Carolina as well. So please pray for all that situation. I'm certain that there are concerns that rest amongst you as well. Let's bind our hearts and minds together as we lift our petitions to our Lord and to our King. Let us pray. Holy God, we are amazed at the gift that you have given us and being called your own. We thank you, Lord, that despite our sinful nature, you sent your Son to live and die for us. We thank you, Lord, for your covenantal promises throughout the entirety of Scripture. And we know, Lord, that even when we sin against you, you are gracious in your mercy to forgive us. God, may we live our lives in such a way that we are witnesses to your grace. That we lead, Lord, with love and compassion and generosity Lord, we ask that you would give us your eyes that we may see. That we can respect this creation that you have given us. This place that you have created for us. Let us be caretakers, Lord, and also allow us to recognize our familial ties with other humans. Allow us, God, to be peacekeepers and peacemakers. Give us strength to be helpers. And Lord... Be patient with us as we learn humility. God, we're thankful that we live in a nation where we have the freedom to gather for worship. We know, Lord, that that freedom has come historically at a great and severe cost to those whom we call veteran. We thank you, Lord, for their yes to serve our country, and we pray, Lord, for those who are serving our country this day. God, we pray also for our enemies. We don't always understand why you ask us to, God, but we do so at the same time. While we also pray, Lord, for a day where we no longer need to have standing militaries, a day where your peace can reign on earth. God, we pray for our churches and our denomination, churches of other denominations, Lord, as they worship and gather to celebrate their love of you this day. 
We're mindful, God, of the ways that we are separate from our brothers and sisters throughout our denomination, throughout other denominations. We ask, God, that you would be patient with us once again as we seek to truly be your church, the bride. Lord, we ask that you would lead us to open our doors to be a place of shelter, a place of love, a place of holiness. Bless other churches to do the same, Lord. Because we are a community of faith, we pray for those who are seated to our right and to our left. We pray for our friends, Lord, who are unable to be here this day. We pray, God, for our friends and our family that we list that need for you to be the great physician. We're thankful, Lord, for those that have answered the call to the ministry of healing. And we pray, God, for healing. We pray, God, for those who are mourning. We pray, God, for those whom you have welcomed into your loving and waiting arms. God, we're thankful for the joy of new birth as well. We're thankful, God, for the ability to celebrate the love of two young people here in this place yesterday. In this silence, Lord, we ask that you hear our prayers that we list for ourselves. Holy God, we are amazed by your grace and the glory of your ways. We thank you for sending your son to earth. We thank you, Lord, that he showed us how to live and taught us also to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Please stand as you are able for our closing hymn, hymn number 687. O God, our help in ages past.
glad that he could read my mind. We were only doing four. Thank you. That was awesome. I thought so. I thought so. Okay. I, I hope that you were willing to struggle with me in the last two weeks of learning how to pray. I mean, that's really what these last two sets of scripture have been about is our prayer life. And I think so many times, especially in my prayer life, it's not too dissimilar from my Christmas list to Santa, right? Like, here's all the things that I need you to give me, God, and I'll wait patiently for the next two minutes until you give me all these things, right? And the joke is always on me, right? I had the children pray for the Yankees last week, and now they're down 3 nothing, and likely will be eliminated tonight. That's terrible, right? I'm learning my lesson. Thank you, Lord. But in all seriousness, when we, when we go to a time to have a conversation with the creator of the universe, maybe the Yankees don't rank so high on the list of things to ask about, right? I mean, put that in perspective. It's not too dissimilar from what the Pharisee prayed. Lord, I'm so much better than the Red Sox. Lord, I'm so much better than the Reds or the Pirates or whomever. And I think we in our, in our lives live lives so well and we're so blessed by God that the silliness of our prayer requests sometimes really brings us to our knees. I'm thankful I've never had to pray for a child with cancer in my family. I'm thankful that I've never had to bury a child in my family. There are tragedies that so many families around this globe experience on a regular basis. And I'm blessed that I've not had to deal with those things. And I'm certain that if we have conversations, the more we talk to each other, the more we find out how much God truly has blessed us. The question, friends, is how, what do we do with that blessing? And I would urge you, and I would pray, that we all come to the conclusion that really we're blessed to be a blessing to others. Let that be our mission in this life. Amen. Now receive the blessing of the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. May he be with us all until we meet again, either here or his glorious kingdom come. Amen and amen. Happy Sunday.